Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on, on Monday, November the 6th. We like to do on Mondays. We'll be chatting with our friend Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. There's a lot on our plates, so let me say hello to Bill. Bill, welcome. Welcome to the World Series Week. Well, that? thank you. Thank you. I, I, I like that term, World Series. We used to know something about it in New York. I don't know if they, the young kids know the definition, but what we used to have a World Series, IS, IS. Sometimes two teams in the same city, known as the Subway Series. Yes, that must have been so much fun. Uh, I've seen videos of those uh, moments, and they were so much, so much fun. But this is also, Bill, uh, before we get to all the current events, this is also uh, a week where we remember Election Day or presidential election days of, of the past. And I thought maybe if you could share with us a couple of the election days that you remember, and I'll mention a couple of mine. So why don't you go first, a couple of elections that uh, you remember over the years? Well, I think that, you know, during my years that I was old enough to know what an election was, and uh, probably the most memorable was the 1980 election where Ronald Reagan was elected. And there really was a sense on our side. And I didn't know it was my side. I had never voted for a Republican before. I was brought up in the Democratic Party. You did not know what the word Republican was. But I went to the polls that year and with some reluctance pushed the Republican lever and voted for the first time in my life for a Republican, Ronald Reagan. And on election night, I really do think that many of us felt the country had been saved because it was spiraling downward under Jimmy Carter. Carter was, was no president. He didn't know how to lead. And there was a feeling that conditions in the country were getting worse, that mm -hmm. the national morale was getting worse, which is a very critical thing in a democracy, and that here was a man who had been ridiculed by much of the press as a warmed-over movie actor, but had, who had actually been a two-term governor of the nation's largest state, elected president, uh, using the words that we like to hear, and... I do think it was one of those uh, elections where you could say history really was made. He wasn't right. just another guy who got elected. Right. That was that was a memorable election. And then, of course, the iconic election of 1960, in which I participated as an intern for a U.S. senator, Paul Douglas, in Illinois. So I was uh, really involved in that election and involved in the Kennedy campaign, Kennedy being our presidential candidate. We traveled with him. Uh, I did not know him, uh, but we traveled with him. Uh, his presence was always felt. And the election night of, of that campaign was possibly the single most memorable because in the middle of the night, the Chicago uh, Sun-Times came out with a headline saying, it's Kennedy. An hour later, they came out with another headline saying, is it Kennedy? And we began to realize the election really wasn't over as we thought was that in fact our state was the key state and i will tell you from, based on my own personal observations that night that the only question being asked at the various democratic headquarters around chicago was well how many votes does the mayor need that was the mayor richard daly uh, the mayor that was the mayor daly and it was understood that elections didn't end until he said they were over and that in a, an election this close, there was plenty going on that was not supposed to be going on. I would have to add, though, on both sides, downstate, the key city was Pekin, P-E-K-I-N, which was the home city of Everett Dirksen, the Senate minority leader. 
And there they still used paper ballots. This was, uh, they didn't use voting machines. Paper ballots are very, very easily uh, tampered with. That's where the term stuffing the ballot box came from. Uh, and we really did not know. And to this day, I'm not so sure people know who really was elected uh, president of the United States that, that night. Right. The election was given to Nixon based on the, I, I'm sorry, to Kennedy, based on the votes that were counted. Um, there were calls on the Republican side for Nixon to contest the election. And he said at the time he didn't want to put the country through that. And he didn't do it. Uh, and uh, Kennedy was accepted as president. But I think still with many, many people even today wondering what the actual result was. Right. Yeah. I think other historians that I've read have said the same thing, that nobody really knows who won that one. That was almost... But there was a joke that I heard one time. Well, not a joke, but a story that Kennedy uh, saw, you know, Nixon later. And Nixon said, well, how did you win Illinois? And Kennedy said, how did you win Ohio? Right. Apparently there were some, some oh, yes. concerns in Ohio, too. It's like you're talking about an election, Bill. You go back and you look at the numbers. 114,000 <laughs> votes yeah. out yeah. of 76 million. I mean, that's almost a tie. Yes. If not a tie. So, I mean, I think the final number was like 47.92 and the other one was 47.90. I mean, it was incredibly, incredibly close. Well, the two that I that stand out in my mind was Reagan in 1980, because I, I agree with you. I think I felt that he saved the country. I really did. I, I think the, even though Jimmy Carter was not a, I don't think he was as bad as, as Biden, honestly. I think Biden concerns me more. But nevertheless, I feel the whole everybody felt a lot better after that election. And I remember being in an automobile in in the north of Mexico on a business trip, hearing the moment that he became president when he was sworn in. And just everybody in the car was so relieved that Reagan was in the Yes. In the White House. So that 1980, I agree with you. That And also the other thing about that election bill that I remember is the weekend before the election, everybody thought it would be close and it wasn't even close. It turned no. out to be a huge landslide. The other one of interest uh, to me was 2000. And that's because uh, our governor Bush was running for election that year. And everybody around here was pretty excited about that. And uh no one knew that we would be, you know, waiting 30 days or whatever it was. But that night was very exciting because at one point they declared him the winner. And uh, and I guess at one point and, there, you know, there were several local stories around here about the governor made president. So I thought that was kind of interesting uh, for me, at least that uh, particular election. But there's so many others, Lincoln, FDR, four times. I mean, there's a lot of elections that happened uh, this week, anniversaries. And I always enjoy going back and reading about them, Bill. Yes, I, I, I'm glad you brought up the uh, Roosevelt uh, four-time election. That was a very interesting election, the election of 1944, because we were in the middle of World War II. We were winning on all fronts. He was, uh, FDR was, the commander-in-chief of uh, the most successful army in history. And yet, on election day, it was still considered controversial that any man could be elected four times. The, the third one, the third election in 1940, was even more historic because no one had ever been elected more than twice. He, so he, he, he survived the third election in 40, 
In 44, it was simply assumed he would win by a landslide because he was the commanding officer in, in the largest war in human history. The fact is, he won against Thomas E. Dewey in New York, who was a candidate who could uh, cure sleep problems on any person who was listening. He just listened and you fell asleep. But he actually, Roosevelt, actually won by about six points. It was not a, a landslide election. By that time, even though it was wartime, people were getting a bit tired uh, of him. And um, uh, the election was one of those routine elections. It was held. He was declared the winner. He was inaugurated. And, of course, three months later, he was dead. Right. And, Harry, and the other aspect of that election that was so fascinating is that the Democratic Party decapitated its vice president, Henry Wallace, and replaced him on the ticket with Harry Truman, uh, knowing that Roosevelt was very sick, was not announced publicly, it wasn't in those days, but knowing that whoever was vice president would become president, and the prediction was correct, and Truman became president. Right. No, that was uh, uh, fascinating. Four times. Yes. And then after that, I guess they put the amendment to the Constitution, right? Yeah. That, that it could only be it could only be two times. Well, some memories, memories of uh, presidential election days past. Well, let's come to the present because there's a lot of stuff on the table. I want to begin in New York uh, with this trial of President Trump. Apparently, it got very exciting today. President Trump and his lawyer got into shouting matches with the judge and somebody on the other side. Uh, look, I, I am not going to defend somebody yelling at a judge or whatever, but I think this whole thing is a travesty <laughs> what's being done to Trump in New York. And and something, you know, somebody has to stop it. I, I don't know how you stop it, but somebody has to stop it. Somebody has to tell the Democrats, this is not good for the country. And that's what I fear. Nobody seems to have the courage to tell the left wing of the Democrat Party that the country may not love Bush, I mean, excuse me, the country may not love Trump, but they hate destroying the country even more, Bill. I think that's a very good way of putting it. The left wing of the Democratic Party does not care what is true. They were brought up in the age of my truth. If I think it's true, it must be true. If my group thinks it's true, it must be true. And they, they, in their mind, they're doing a great service. We, we do not have documented evidence that there was a grand conspiracy here among uh, district attorneys in different states. I think that the anecdotal evidence, though, is clear that individually a lot of people decided that to, to get Trump. I think it's interesting that when you look at the cities that are involved in the various trials he will face, they are all along a thin part of the East Coast. Going from north to south, all the cities have several things in common. They are all heavily minority cities. They are heavily Democratic cities. I think in Washington, D.C., in the last election, the Democrats got 95% of the vote. Um, in the case of Atlanta, which is really one that you wonder what the case is about. You have a, a very, very ambitious district attorney who wants to be governor. Uh, and I think most Americans realize that being charged with a crime is serious. They just don't buy into it. I think, as you pointed out, they feel that there's something illegitimate about it. A presidential election is a constitutionally mandated event. It is an extraordinarily serious event, which is why I think throughout our history, we have always treated these elections as very special and uh, we, we try to at least keep our ha the hands of other branches of government off the election. 
Here there is a feeling, a widespread feeling, that the justice system is being mobilized to destroy one of the two candidates. I can't prove to you in a court of law that it's true. It is a feeling people have. And when you look at the charges and look at the people making the charges, especially here in New York, the attorney general is a left-wing attorney general. She was Her main sponsor is the Working People's Party, which is essentially a front operation for the old uh, leftist groups. Uh, she wants Trump out of office. And the whole thing just does not ring true to too many people. Right. There's a great quote, and I recommend to everyone to check out. Uh, there's a post over at Powerline, one of the great websites. And, uh, and the quote, I'll just briefly <laughs> read it. It says, the problem that the, the judge and the attorney general have is that this is transparently a political prosecution. Quote, that's the problem, that... If you're going to try the president of the United States or a former president, you've got to have such a strong case that nobody questions the case. Everybody more or less says, yeah, it, it adds up. Let's walk over and talk to the guy like they did with Nixon. But in this case, it doesn't. It doesn't. And even all the other cases, it seems to me the Democrats devalue their hand with so many investigations it, because it does become more political when you have so many, if they had one investigation, for example, let's say the documents case, if that was all they had, I think people could actually even focus on it. But it's getting to the point, Bill, it, it's almost like that movie. I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. It's almost like that movie. If it's Monday, it's Paris. If it's Tuesday, it's London. Yes. So in this case, if it's Monday, it's New York. If it's Tuesday, it's Atlanta. I mean, after a while, people are saying, don't these people have better things to do? That's and right. just to get so obsessed with Trump, I'm not defending Trump. Look, I, as I said, I, I've had my problems with him, but <clears throat> but I do I don't want to destroy the system in order to get Trump uh, built. That's exactly right, and I think that another thing that has disturbed many people, all these key cases reach their <clears throat> their culmination in a five month period right before the presidential election. What are the statistical chances of that? It it does look <clears throat> as if a lot of guys whether together or independently, decided this is the time to get Trump. This is the time to knock him out of the race. And the, the, what makes it even worse is he's, he's not only a former president, he's by far the front runner of his party in this race. You'd think they would be very careful to have very solid cases and also cases on very, very grave charges. Uh, to remove. We have never removed a president, and we've never tried an ex-president. And for something that is so uh, uh, precedent breaking, you would think, as you said, it would be a very, these would be very solid cases. They're not. No, they're not. And in fact, uh, you mentioned that the attorney general of New York is, uh, you know, comes from the left, from the extreme left. That kind of ties into the post you, you wrote either today or yesterday about the Democrat Party that this is not, you mentioned 1960 and, and your involvement in that campaign. This is not a Democratic Party that John Kennedy or the senator that you worked for uh, would even recognize, Bill. Oh, yes, I did. I did write that. Uh, I think it was yesterday. The, I mean, if, if, if anyone today, any Democratic candidate for the Democratic nomination would say, today, this country will pay any price, bear any burden in defense of freedom. He couldn't come close to the nomination. He'd be considered a warmonger, uh, a cold warrior. 
Yet that's exactly what John Kennedy said at his inauguration. If any uh, uh, president of the Democratic Party would say today, this generation has a rendezvous with destiny, there again, he would be considered out of the mainstream of the Democratic Party, a man looking to start a war or to get American kids involved in a war, uh, and he wouldn't last. The, the, Democrats of the Democrats of the past, who we as a nation respected, even if we sometimes didn't vote for them, were men who were, first of all, big enough for the presidency and changed history for the better. Um, Roosevelt led us through the Second World War. Harry Truman understood the implications of American power and how it had to be used to prevent a Third World War, but at the same time maintain freedom. Uh, then you had Jack Kennedy, who really introduced the country to a new generation of Democrats, but a generation, as he said, that was steeled by war, World War II, and understood how serious things could get. What do you have today? I mean, the, the only man who is a credible, uh, uh, a credible uh, contestant for the nomination whose name isn't, uh, isn't uh, Joe Biden is the governor of California, who is probably one of the worst governors in America, right. in a state that is failing. And that's it. That's and, it. And, and, and you look around within the Democratic Party, and yes, there are still moderates left. And in fact, they are still basically in charge of the party. They still have most of the cloud in the party. But coming up very fast is a faction that is dangerous to this country. They are, they are actually anti-American. And they represent, unfortunately, an educational system that is failing us very rapidly. Should they gain power or gain more power than they have now, I think this country's very existence as America will be in jeopardy. Absolutely. I mean, this uh, you're seeing it over the Israeli-Gaza conflict. You know, uh, the these protests, uh, I guess, in Washington, D.C., they had a major one. Uh, now they're going after President Biden, calling him a warmonger and accusing him of killing kids. I mean, I don't remember a Democrat hearing anything like that, Bill. Uh, I guess you got to go back to the 60s to hear to hear something like that. But one of the, the interesting things to me is that you, you look at the there, there's a new poll that came out, Siena. And again, we always have to caution people that polls are just time shots. They could change and all of that. But there is a certain tendency in these polls to favor Trump, which is, I think, the important thing. And in this latest poll with Siena, people are telling the pollster that they feel their lives would be better and they're more likely to stay out of a war if Trump is elected. So this is no longer, you know, 51, 48, 47, 47 type of poll. This is now a poll expressing feelings about how people feel. And they obviously don't feel they may not love Trump. They may not be yearning for Trump. It may not be one of those things where they cannot wait to vote for him. But they clearly feel that a vote for him, if Biden was the option, the other option would be better for them and the country. Bill. Yes. And I think also there's some memory involved here and that it goes back to Ronald Reagan's classic question, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Well, for the great majority of Americans, the answer is no. Uh, and they remember that life under Trump wasn't so bad. What is especially interesting is how, in the polls at least, Trump is gaining the support of minorities. And that was something that no one really expected two or three years ago. But I think many minorities are saying, wait a minute, here's the Democratic Party that always 
uh, tells me they're going to save me. And look what they're doing to me. Uh, whereas under Trump, we actually live pretty well. Right. So I, I think this is this is a multifactored uh, a change uh, in the political landscape of the United States. Uh, we hear now about uh, uh, communities that want to leave the Democratic Party, uh, the Jewish community, for example. There's obviously been a, a disillusionment over uh, the Democratic Party stand uh, uh, or presumed stand on the conflict in the Middle East. And people presumably will vote with their feet as they always do. And I don't think that the Democrats see a way out of it, which is the other side of it, because the fact is there are realities. Part of their party has gone very far left and they haven't done a thing about it. And, and they need that. The other problem too, Bill, is that I think that far left faction is where the money is for the candidates. I mean, yes. we, saw, we see that here. You know, when Beto O'Rourke, for example, ran for for the governorship in 2022, he had to say a bunch of things that were way to the left so that he could get money. That's right. I There's mean, a, he, had the, to, he had to take idiotic <laughs> positions on the AR-15, on abortion, simply because he knew that if he didn't say that, the money would not come, Bill. That's right. And what is remarkable is that we have this group of billionaires in America who, if the system they're advocating had ever been in existence, they would not be billionaires. They, they would be working in a factory somewhere. Uh, maybe they feel guilt over that, and they've become woke, as they say. I think it's fewer, though, than it was a few months ago. I think many of them realize they're on the wrong track. And I think many companies are now getting away from this wokeism and going back to making a good product or selling a good product. But yes, it is true. There's a lot of money available among people whose only accomplishment in life is that they made a lot of money and didn't bring any wisdom with it. And right. they got involved in these things. And I think a lot of their spouses loved being invited to Washington cocktail parties, uh, which is always a part of it. I'm hoping that will change. I think a lot will depend on uh, the outcome of the situation in the Middle East, which I think has stunned people to a great degree, and also a return of an economy that actually benefits people. When when they say, well, inflation is slowing, uh, that, that's like saying, well, the hangman's noose isn't as tough around the neck as it was a couple of months ago. The, uh, the, uh, the inflation is slowing a bit, but it has already occurred. And the damage done to people is very, very serious. About a 20% difference in what your income will buy today than, than two years ago. That's right. And, and, and it shows up in, in, in places that affect people's lives. You know, the, the other day they were saying that inflation is going down unless you buy food, you pay for rent, or you buy gasoline. Other than that, it's going down. Well, most Americans have to buy food. They have to obviously pay rent or mortgages or whatever. And uh, you know they have to they have to live, and those are the the areas that are are most uh, impacted. I saw a story, Bill, that came out just to show you how crazy the economy is. The number of small businesses that are literally paying their bills every month, and what they're doing is they're using credit cards. In other words, they cannot generate enough That's business, right. yes. so they they have to go into credit. Well, that th there's a limit to how much you can do of that. Of course. Uh, so eventually that business will either have to cut back or shut down or whatever. And the number uh, of Americans, I mentioned this before in one of our conversations, but 
I think this is a very important piece of information, and that is car loan delinquencies. Yes. When people cannot pay car loans with that, um, I mean, I can speak on a personal level. When Whenever I didn't quite have enough money to make my car payment, it was because I didn't have enough money that month to, before or after I had to meet all the other obligations, Bill. Yes, well, that's it. I think that people, especially young people, do remember when life was better, uh, when uh, cars were less expensive, when uh, money was more plentiful, when there was no inflation, and they are short of money for this month. So, well, instead of cutting back, instead of selling that uh, that um, uh, Mercedes, uh, I'll keep it and I'll just go into credit and the and things will be better in a month and I'll be able to pay it back. Well, the problem with credit is things better be better in a month because that bill is going to come due. And right. that bill is coming due in many families. It has. And, and, and we see that all the time. You know, uh, I may have mentioned uh, in a previous show that my wife and I are involved in a charity at our church, our Catholic church, a charity that helps people uh, pay the rent and pay other expenses. And, you know, I we sometimes get together with families and we hear their situations. <laughs> and it's it's I mean, it's tough out there. The number of people who cannot cannot pay the rent or cannot make the car payments. I mean, it, people are going through a lot. And obviously, when that happens, the incumbent suffers. But in this case, the incumbent's problem is that he doesn't seem to even know what's going on. And, and that makes him even less likable, Bill. Well, yes. that's, And I think you're going to see a lot of families that are going to be stressed horribly because some of these uh, economic consequences are affecting families where kids are going off to college where there are additional expenses uh i think that it may affect ultimately the number of marriages we have in the country many people put off marriage if they're in financial distress and the, the effects on the country can be even more devastating than the immediate inter, uh, economic effects right this is more than an economic problem it yes. affects as you say other parts of of the society. And this is why you see a poll from Siena basically saying the American people comparing Trump to Biden, they go, you know, we were better off under him. doesn't mean that we loved him. It doesn't mean that we fell in love with him or that we were in love with him, but at least we were better off. And maybe for many people, that's a big deal, Bill. It is a big deal. And uh, have, we're facing a situation in November it's a frightening situation where the candidate that the public may want the most is the candidate who's in legal trouble through the machination of people in the other party. Right. And that's, that is a level of instability that we have not seen in this country. Speaking of elections, I just wanted to briefly mention this. We'll know more about it uh, next week when we chat. There are three important elections tomorrow. There's a governor's race in Kentucky, in Mississippi, and in Virginia, it's not a governor's race. In Virginia, it's, I guess, the local legislature or the state legislature. legislature. Yeah. Uh, the one in Kentucky, that's that's going to be very interesting because there you have a centrist Democrat who may lose to a, yes. to a Republican. Uh, his The numbers keep getting tighter all the time. So that's one of those turnout elections. And then in Mississippi, you have an interesting case, too, where the Republicans should win. But another moderate Democrat is giving him a fight. Probably the Republican will win, but the numbers may be closer than they should be in Mississippi. But the one that I'm really interested in is Virginia, because if uh, 
uh, Youngkin can pull this off, and it looks like he may, he'll have a, a state legislature, a Republican legislature, in a state that was Democrat just a few years ago, and just like uh, you know, just like DeSantis in in Florida, he can say, "Hey guys, I win. I put up numbers. I I win. I put up results." And that could easily turn him into a presidential candidate, Bill. It can, and and I think the Republican Party knows it must have a bench in the event Trump goes down and cannot run for president for whatever reason. Uh, and that that. That one was supposed to be Ron DeSantis, but for whatever reason, he failed to catch fire with the American people. And they, they, these are some things that are sometimes unexplainable. But Glenn Youngkin, the man you're referring to in Virginia, did flip Virginia. Uh, he made it from a purple state into a, uh, a, a red state, at least for the time being. But he doesn't control the whole legislature. As you said, if he can wind up controlling the whole legislature... The uh, the credit will be given to him for winning the election, and inevitably eyes will turn toward him. And also, I would point out that Virginia presidentially is a very important state, has a lot of electoral votes. Whether it will mean anything in the long run will depend entirely what happens at the Trump level. Right. Whether, no, whether I agree. Trump survives. That's right, and that's uh, that's always the, the wild card, as they say. Well, over in Gaza, Bill, it's week number five, and you know they the. Apparently, the Israeli army is hitting uh, the Gaza or Hamas very hard, and I hope they continue. But there are, you know, the usual voices, um, and I'm a little concerned that this White House may not have the stomach to see Israel go through this. They're already talking about a humanitarian <laughs> approach and all this kind of stuff, and and I, you know, I think we got to let the Israelis take care of business, Bill. Well, that. We have a part of our society on the political left that doesn't know what the word win means. Uh, they, you know, they they are, first of all, more sympathetic to the Palestinians, not in any way understanding what that cause is about. It's about the extermination of Israel and not caring. Uh, they are, this, the, these are these are party line leftists and they are influencing the Democratic Party. Yes. And they're influencing uh, President Biden, the, the word is out that he's been warned that if he continues to take this very pro-Israel course, that he will lose the state of Michigan, which has a large uh, Muslim-American population. I don't know if that's true, but that's the word that's out. And yes, I fear also that this country may wind up as the weak sister, as the, as the country that abandoned its allies uh, in time of war. We've done it. We've done it before, after all. But I think that... Um, uh, Politically, what is going on in the country today is fascinating because you have, in effect, a role reversal. The Republican Party, which used to be the party of the elites, is today much more the, the party of the common person. And the Democratic Party, which used to call itself the party of the people and was very pro-union, uh, is today the party of the elites. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the old story. Everything old is new again. Right. What's interesting, though, is... From where I'm sitting, what I see is a Democratic Party that is more pro-public sector unions. Oh, yes. Not necessarily pro. In other words, I think the guys who work at the machines and at the floor and at the shops, those guys are pretty conservative. They're, they like Trump, actually. At, at that, uh, that, Those people like Trump. But the Democrat Party seems to be the party of the, of the public sector unions. That's where I think all their focus has gone, Bill. And that's a real contrast. I'm sure from the party that you remember. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember growing up in the Democratic Party. We were very pro-union. We loved to go to uh, the gates of uh, big American corporations that wouldn't allow unions, and we would get thrown out. Uh, and We were very proud of being thrown out. Uh, and when we said union, we meant people who worked with their hands and built automobiles. In the Democratic Party, the unions they care about are the teachers' unions and the uh, public service unions in California who have enough votes to swing an election. That, and, and the other unions that the, the, they used to be close to, they don't even know. That's right. No, you're right. I mean, and I think you could sort of see that with this UAW strike. Oh, yes. Where it seemed like it was a lot of Republicans who were actually supporting uh, the union and and I think Trump even went to one of their one of their marches or whatever uh, to to demonstrate. But yeah, it, it's a totally different party as you wrote in the article that you wrote this week. It's just a, a the party. I don't even heck. I I don't think you have to go back to 1960. All you have to do is go back to 1988, and this is a different party than it was even 1988 when Dukakis was the nominee. Bill. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's. The, the changes in the Democratic Party began in the late 1960s when the old leftist groups started coming back into the party. They had been pretty much expelled in the late 1940s, but they started coming back in, uh, in reaction to the, um, to the Vietnam War. Also, the reaction in the American South to the Civil Rights Movement moved the South closer to the Republican Party. So those changes began then. Uh, the Democratic Party today is unrecognizable. Uh, and and what is remarkable about how unrecognizable it is is that it has such a weak bench. I mean, you at one time you could go to the U.S. Senate to the governorships and find any number of Democrats who were capable of being president. Today, it's a hard sell just to find one. Yeah, and it's um, very very unusual. I mean, just look around. I mean, the the only people, well, of course, the vice president. But yeah. she has problems. Oh, yes. But then you have the governor of California. I mean, he's going to have a hard time selling what he's done out there to the country. Yes. The governor of Illinois, I don't see him as very presidential. No. And uh, I don't know who else it could be. Uh, but I, there's not, as you say, the, the type of bench that there used to be at one time. Well, Bill, as always, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we we got to enjoy the World Series victory, something you got to enjoy a few times. But... When when they had this big front page headline in our newspaper saying that the we had finally won, I immediately thought about you and <laughs> said, I know exactly how you felt in nineteen fifty-five when the Dodgers finally won. Bill. Finally won it. It was it was it was a just reward for years of suffering. Yes. And I, I think the gods of baseball just wanted to give the Rangers a shot at it after so many because we had, I mean I don't want to dwell too much on, on baseball today, but there were many, many heartbreaks for the Rangers, just like there were for the Dodgers. Maybe not oh, yeah. as many as the Dodgers, but quite a few. And uh, so when we finally got it, I thought about you and I said, now I know how Bill felt oh, in yes. 1955 when the Brooklyn Dodgers finally won their World Series against the Yankees, Bill. Uh, yes, it was a magnificent moment. It didn't last long because a few years later, the Dodgers knocked us in the back and left Brooklyn for Los Angeles. And it was said then that in Brooklyn, there were three main villains, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, and Walter O'Malley, who owned the Dodgers. And that, that line has lasted until today. Yes. Well, you have to wonder what kind of, what kind of an offer O'Malley was made. 
yes. to take the team out there because uh, apparently they even gave him a stadium. I mean, they they were yes. they really wanted the Dodgers out there. Absolutely. Oh, it was a good offer, and New York blundered. New York blundered. It had a very mediocre mayor and Mayor Wagner, nice man, but mediocre. Other so-called statesmen of New York just did not seem to understand how important the Dodgers were to the morale of New York, and they let them go. And the Giants left at the same time. That was yes. the other thing, too. They both left uh, at the same time. But it is interesting to me how, how different times, you know, today, if a ball club even talks about leaving the governor and everybody in the in the legislature pays the owner a visit oh, and yes. says, how much money does it take to keep you? Uh, that obviously was not the case back then. They could have kept the Dodgers if sure. they really wanted to. Sure. Uh, they could have built a new stadium. They could have done many things. But the gods that were did not believe this was very important to New York, did not understand it. That's right. That's right. It was just, uh, you know, different times, different, uh, different times. Bill, as always, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to our next one. I'm looking forward to it, too, Sylvia. Thank you so much. Our, our good friend, uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. They were at the very beginning of, of our podcast today. We talked uh, a little bit about anniversaries of presidential elections, and this is something that happens this week. So if you do what I do, which is every day I check that history.com, this day in history website, you will see a lot of anniversaries of presidential elections, uh, you know, just about everyone that took place uh, in the first 10 days of November uh, over the year. So it, it's, it's, it's a great uh, trip, uh, as they say, memory lane, get on memory lane and remember some, some days when you won or you lost, but it was, uh, it was an interesting day. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.